got a friend in us. This is episode 42, Toy Story 3 from 2010. I'm Sheriff Mike. Ooh, and I'm Joey Lewandowski, and with us tonight we have a returning guest from a long, long time ago. Feels like she hasn't been on the podcast in as long as it's been since we covered a Toy Story movie. She wasn't on those episodes, of course, because we're sharing the love of what I can only imagine is going to be at least three of my top five Hanks movies, because, who boy, these movies are good. With us tonight, the co-host of Wistful Thinking, Cara Galo Regan. Hello, Cara. Hello. Welcome back to the show. You've been on a Hanks episode before, I'm sure, right? Yeah, definitely did Splash. Okay, very cool. You were on Splash, A League of Their Own, Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail, and now this. Look at you. So it turns out I've actually done several that I have no recollection of. (laughs) Those were forever ago. I mean, those were in the before times, before quarantine Truly a lifetime ago. Back when this was a bi-weekly podcast instead of a weekly podcast, back before, spoiler, we've already finished recording Cruise Club, so the next few episodes that are coming out. And also today, just want to say that the voting for the Tom Cruise Awards, the Cruises, is now open. So we've been following both feeds. The voting is officially open today. So very exciting. Go vote on that at cageclub.me bracket. But we are not here to talk about Tom Cruise even though maybe my favorite moment in the movie is a direct shout out to Mission Impossible. We will talk about that. But Mike, if anybody has not seen Toy Story 3, they deprive themselves of joy. They deprive themselves of wonder. Could you please share what this movie is about? Absolutely. In this installment, Andy's all grown up and he's going off to college. And the toys are worried because they don't know what's going to happen to them next. But Woody just says, no matter what, we just have to be there for Andy. Andy packs up most of his toys into a garbage bag and intends to put them into the attic. But by sort of an accident, his mom picks up the bag and thinks that they are just garbage. And she puts it curbside and the toys think that Andy doesn't want to save them and is going to throw them away. But they save themselves and they escape the garbage and they go into the box of donations marked for the daycare center. Woody tries to save them during all this because Andy was going to take him to college, but in trying to save his friends from the garbage that they saved themselves from, he also ends up into the box to the daycare center and off they go, off to Sunnyside. When they get there, Woody leaves because he wants to go back to Andy and be there for him, but he gets intercepted by Bonnie, no less, uh, a new child whose mother works works at the daycare center, and he is taken home with her to play with all of her toys. Meanwhile, at the daycare center, our trusty toys meet Lotso, and a whole bunch of new toys, including Ken, voiced by none other than Michael Keaton. You know, they're saying, hey, welcome to this new place, and you're welcome here. It's great. You're going to get played with all the time, and all the new, all the toys are very excited about this until they are actually played with very roughly by all these crazy kids that are hopped up on sugar or just adrenaline, and it turns out that the daycare center center isn't actually all sunny side after all and it is actually a dark sort of work camp prison run by the iron fist of lots of hug and bear the toys are kept in cages buzz lightyear is brainwashed into being a guard Woody, during all this, back at Bonnie's house, actually learns about the dark side of Lotso and Sunnyside from one of his former toy friends that escaped earlier. So he starts uh, to plan a rescue mission for his friends. He goes back to the daycare center. He gets captured, but he formulates a plan with his toys, and they all escape through the garbage chute, but not without Lotso finding out, and he causes all of them to get diverted to the town dump, where they're going to get burned a cinder forever and be destroyed but at the last second the alien toys 
grab the crane and save them and bring them to safety and they manage to make their way back to Andy's. Andy decides that it's time to move on and he brings his toys over to Bonnie's house at the end and plays with them for one last time giving them to her and saying farewell forever to Woody, Buzz Lightyear, and the rest of his friends. Oh boy, there's a whole lot more to get to, and that was a lot, but let's get into it. This movie is so fucked up. You know, I didn't think the plot was that complicated, but everything you said was like, oh yeah, that is all, you know, kind of important to the plot, so good job. Spoiler for next week. So next episode, we are not doing another movie. We are doing the Toy Story shorts and specials. And so there's four shorts from around this time. Toy Story Toons, Hawaiian Vacation, Toy Story Toons, Small Fry, Toy Story Toons, Partysaurus Rex, Actually, five things. Toy Story of Terror and Toy Story that Time Forgot. So five things, and Carrie, you will be back for those. But could you please let us know, because we have not talked to you on these, because I've been saying, I said before, that for this franchise and for the Mission Impossible movies over on Cruise, we didn't have the same guests for any two movies, because we feel like these are kind of the things that each are known for. And I think it's interesting to have a different perspective on the franchise and the movie for each from different people. So if you could share with us, what's your history with the franchise? Do you love these movies? Do you like these movies? Have you seen them in theater? You know, Do you have young children around you in your life that you share these with what's your what's your history with the toy story films i actually don't have like a a huge connection to them i saw them because i you know i guess it was like i think i might have been like just too old when the first one came out or maybe i was the right age first one came out in 95 so put that wherever you would be in your life so i would still be a child but i signed up for these because i love animation and also i specifically wanted toy story 3 well they're all extremely dark and very fucked up movies But Toy Story 3, I I haven't seen the fourth one, but I think Toy Story 3 takes the cake on, like, fucked upness. You know, there's an authoritarian prison camp, and they all hold hands and prepare to die together at the end. Like, just really, really dark stuff. And I just, when I saw this, which I think I did see it in theaters as an adult, I just remember sitting there and just being like, this is a children's movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember having sort of the same reaction, especially coming from the second one and that being very adventurous and lighthearted for the most part and much about the toys. Like this is this is making all kinds of points and there's so many lessons and, and morals and things like this is teaching kids somehow like subconsciously they're coming out the other side of this movie with different ideas I feel because like even watching it this time my mouth was agape it's like so prescient about like things that are going on today even yeah that was what was so interesting to watch it like at this very moment in time where authoritarian prison states are very relevant I think you're getting at my favorite moment in the movie I mean even just like at the very beginning I was like oh Buzz and Woody are cops huh <laughs> wow you know like just weird weird things to to realize that you know to the current context of, of what's happening in the world and, and particularly in our country kind of puts a new lens on this children's movie. Well, what's interesting, and it touches on that, I think, but not quite, but what's interesting about these movies and watch them kind of closer together is that they all seem to be Woody trying to control everything, everything falling through his grasp, him getting separated, and then him trying to come to terms with the fact that the world is changing. And this kind of puts a button on the trilogy of the Andy movies, and we're going to get the one more Bonnie movie in Toy Story 4, which is in nine years from this time, which I think is like in 14 episodes for us. Like There's a bunch of stuff to get to before there, but they all share a sort of a 
common theme. And Buzz is kind of Buzz kind of takes a back seat here, but I think that there is something topical to a certain extent. I mean, not to the extent because what you're saying is extremely valid, but I think that they all share common DNA in more than one regard, centering around Sheriff Woody. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely a pattern to like a kind of a formula for how the the movies play out. Yeah, I almost feel like also it kind of struck me hard watching this one that they're all a lot about abandonment. Like there's, mm-hmm. and it's coming from mm-hmm. like how different, how everybody processes that differently too. Like people toys, like all the toys we see are different. So like the way Woody handles rejection or, or that as the way like even, you know, Buzz does and, and the different states of denial and how they manifest through different personalities because of the, the, the neuroses of each individual toy. And stuff. like, it's, it's incredible, like how hard all of that sort of flooded over me in this one in particular but going back and looking at them like that's a pattern for sure going on through like the themes of the toy story movies so this movie is ostensibly i mean there are cop and authority figures in here and not even just sheriff woody and buzz but also warden lotso like he's running Mm -hmm. this kind of internment camp sort of and there was actually a quote that when they were making this pixar staff watched numerous prison movies and lee unkrich said quote there are a lot of prison movies out there i think we watched every single one of them and i think what's interesting about these kind of movies is that the first one sort of was like a little sci-fi because there's you know buzz is the new toy and we go to Pizza Planet and it's kind of a sci-fi movie and then the second one is all about Woody and Jesse and Bullseye and the Prospector and it's kind of a western and then here it's a prison movie which is like (laughs) wild uncharted territory for a children's film but I think it also works perfectly but I you know I was trying to compare and I think Mike you know when we do our rankings of the movies by the end of the podcast I'm gonna have to re-watch pretty sure Toy Story 2, 3, and 4 because I don't remember do I like two more? Do I like three more? I know that two makes me cry but this is like exactly the kind of movie that I want to see. I don't, it's weird. I don't know how to compare them but I know that I love both of these and the first one too but I think I think the first one as we talked about in there it's like in retrospect looks crude but like for the time was amazing. It really was, yeah. I love them all to death. It's hard to pick a favorite but like this is the one that I feel could be remade in live action and like that disturbs me I think a little bit more than the rest of them. For that reason, like you're saying, because like they watched all the prison movies and then I've seen a lot of the prison movies. So like, you know, it feels like the great escape. It feels like a lot of these things. And uh, I'm not trying to like knock it. Like, I think it's an incredible sort of accomplishment. I think they might have taken it a step too far as in regards of like masking this, like they try to do a comedy, like sneak in the adult sort of nature of stuff under underlying you know all of the kid stuff i think they might have brought that stuff to the surface a little too far in this one maybe and that might be why i sort of have like this like feeling about it being... wait do you not love this movie unconditionally wow it's not okay. like that or anything it's just you know it's just felt a little too real like you know i feel like they were taking it a step too seriously maybe but like that's not to say that it's bad or anything i'm not trying to knock it i'm just trying to understand it i think that's what i love about it though it does feel like a little much. Well, like, are kids ready for this? <laughs> like, that's my only other thing. Like, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. And like, how much of it does it just fly over their heads? You know, like this whole thing about abandonment and grief and loss and authoritarianism. <laughs> it almost feels like too scary, too, at times, yeah. maybe. Oh, too. for like, sure. 
like and not just because it's like it is scary but like i don't understand what's going on like what is the system that's presented in front of me like why is lot so bad like all these things i could see flooding through a child's mind for the first time and like it might be a bit like overloaded for a child mind but i don't want to use these metrics as a, a be all end all of the movie's success but it is rated g so the mpaa i mean the mpaa is a flawed institution but like it deemed this movie okay for everybody to see but this is also the first pixar movie to make a billion with a b dollars at the theater not only do people love this but people went out to see this in droves right and so like you can have concerns like maybe it is too scary maybe it is too much but like it worked like people like families kids went back and saw this again and again maybe it's because it's beautiful to look at like these are always like just such a gorgeous treat for the eyes but i think there's something here that resonates and i think that best pixar movies are all imbued with sadness and i think that this has loss and fear and death and there's important lessons to be had here even as they're about to get incinerated before they're saved literally by a deus ex machina like god in the machine but aliens with the claw as you were saying all that i'm wondering because the the i mean there were definitely some weird dark children's movies that we grew up with but you know particularly for girls with the disney movies and disney princesses and you know all of these happy Mm -hmm. endings how does that prepare kids versus seeing something like this which i think prepares you probably so much better for just like being a person in the world and like navigating abandonment and fear and loss and authoritarianism yeah i i was almost thinking like i'm watching toy story 3 and then i'm putting on the news and i'm seeing the kids who were 10 years old watching this and yeah and it's like wow like they're living that message now like they're spreading yeah. that word like because you know it's come on like lots of trump like it's right there in their face you know they've seen this it's ingrained in them and you know for that i i applaud pixar for doing that well i will say in that regard in that spirit my favorite moment in this movie i had no idea that barbie was the voice of our generation until i watched this movie and she says authority should derive from the consent of the governed not from the threat of force and i was like barbie 2020 like she is our hero she's not the hero we deserve but she's the one we need right now she is the greatest and like like i think that you know barbie has this history of like not being attainable ideal like an attainable mm-hmm. goal for women like because it's you know her proportions are ridiculous and there's been a lot of sexist troubles in the history of barbie but like i think the way that she's portrayed here is kind of remarkable and that's not to say that the ken stuff I love the Ken stuff, to be honest. <laughs> but like, there's there's a gay panic with Ken that does not exactly work. Yeah, it felt a little bit of the time like a bit of a revenge on Ken or something. I don't know. Yeah. But I think that the Barbie stuff is incredible. And that's my favorite. Like, just her, like, surprising, like, speaking to the power and, like, standing up to the man. I'm like, oh, this is who we need right now. Yeah, I have a really complicated relationship with Barbie. And I love her you know like for all of the reasons that you were talking about of of you know body image and setting unrealistic standards and whatever but i'm literally looking at a barbie doll right now i have a barbie for president still in its box from 1991 i might cry talking about this a friend of mine got it for me for my birthday in 2016 before the 2016 election so there's that but i i think that barbie is actually can be a really powerful figure for girls too and a lot of the outfits and stuff and like you know accessories for barbie were a way for me and for other girls to explore career options and like being 
you know, different kinds of women in the world, because there were things like Barbie for president and all sorts of other like Barbie firefighters and whatever. And there's probably even better ones now. Well, now there's like STEM Barbie and stuff like that. Like they've made a conscious effort to be like, hey, girls, like not that this should need to be said, but sometimes it does. Like girls can be scientists and engineers and mathematicians and like they're 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 improving it. Yeah. And, and that was really, I guess, probably just starting when I was a kid that like it was like oh Barbie's more than a pretty doll to play with I think there's actually like an incredible amount of power behind Barbie as a symbol and I love what they did with her in this movie there's a really great episode maybe the best episode of the toys that made us on Netflix about Barbie and that history is Mm. just incredible it deserves like a two-hour documentary not just like a half-hour episode but that's Mm -hmm. incredible and uh yeah I have X-Files Barbie so I have a Ken and Barbie Mulder and Scully that I bought when I used to work at KB Toys when I was like 18 years old and I think there was a thing too right where like the first Toy Story movie Mattel was not on board with letting them use Barbie the second movie she shows up and they sort of you know make fun of her a little bit with like all the different varieties of her Uh, but in this one like they definitely come through and it's one of the you know best characters in the film do you know who did her voice in this movie I do not. It's actually the voice of Ariel from The Little Mermaid. Really? Oh, okay. yeah. cool. Yeah. I saw a thing on the IMDb trivia that this movie has 302 characters, which is, Whoa. I think, the wow. most in any Pixar movie ever, which feels like a lot that you're like, oh, wait, there is. And there's a lot that I was looking like the chatty talk phone or whatever the name is, the phone that like rings and that Woody answers. And I was like, how are they going to do this? But I forgot that it was just the phone talking to Woody. There's a couple of voices like that that are just animators. Like, I feel like they have so many people. They add so many people here. Like, they had Michael Keaton. They add so many different like huge names and then they just have like career animators with great voices who come in here too so like there are wonderful voices across the board and everybody's bringing it that happened with ratatouille where like the lead voice on that was just one of the animators standing in or something that goes to the store and like he turned out they're like let's just use them like it's just it comes down to what works not like you know like and i love that about pixar and it's funny too because growing up watching so many cartoons along the way you start to recognize a lot of the same voices it's like oh that's the guy who did like leonardo for the ninja turtles or whatever and then like the new sort of phase or fashion was celebrity voices and stuff and so i always loved watching like oh can i place this voice or that voice or this voice and the first I definitely did not know it was Michael Keaton, but now you just can't get it out of your mind. <laughs> but like, there's also the frustration in that, and it was something I don't remember who it was in the fourth Toy Story. Where I was like, I know that voice, and then like, there's a whole, there's a documentary called I Know That Voice about the voice artist, and I think John DiMaggio, who's like the voice of Bender, and he's done so many different things. But you know, I I knew him from first from Futurama. He did this about I know this voice about all the different voice actors that you maybe don't know their name but you know their voice but there was some celebrity in Toy Story oh I think it, was, it might have been Tony Hale as Forky I was like I know that and I can't place who that is and it was driving me bananas the entire time but you know we'll get to Forky when we get to Forky down the road Mike I mentioned my favorite part is Barbie surprisingly to me I think but did you have a favorite part what was your favorite part of Toy Story 3 man there's so many great moments so many great parts maybe Spanish buzz like that's just like a great joy wonderful I've always been a Zorro fan as a kid. I like in Tony Banderas, the Puss in Boots movie, I've seen like a, probably a billion times with my nephew when he was growing up. And, and this just always reminded me of that. And I've seen all these Toy Story movies now like way too many times, like with my nieces and nephews over the last like nine years and stuff. But there's still, you know, there's still freshness there. But yeah, I think I think that's hilarious. Just the whole concept of Buzz continually fascinates me. Like every movie they add, well, maybe not so much the next one, but from 
from the first movie to him sort of like becoming conscious, the second movie to him running into his other self, right? Like in the toy store and stuff. And then in this one being brainwashed, reset to like factory default. To demo mode. Yeah. Demo mode. And then like the idea that you could sort of change his language. Like there's probably, you know, he could probably be Japanese speaking like all these other different types of languages like that is a great gag and uh and i love how jesse is just like so much more in love with him now as well just seeing like how much more versatile he is as a toy yeah i love it and i think especially at the end when he's back to quote-unquote normal buzz and then she puts on the spanish music the latin music and he like has a a pep in the stuff that he doesn't know is even there because he's you know he's not that in touch with his dna i guess his uh his coding if i could also say those mid-credit sequences are a blessing i'd never realized it before but this at between the dump and them all about to like basically die and then andy giving his toys away like and me making me cry like i needed that bump at the end to go out on like a higher note you know what i'm saying like it just it Mm -hmm. seeing the toys like readjusting and everything just put put me in such a better mood and just like evened me out again and i was like wow that that was a that's a good job at that and carol what about you do you have a favorite part of toy story 3 so I love Ken's fashion show because Barbie, you know, she distracts him from the escape attempt by being like, show me your clothes because Ken is so sad that no one who's at this daycare center understands clothes and why they're fun. And that was always one of my favorite things about like playing with Barbies is that you can change their little outfits and that's fun. Did you feel a tinge of like sadness and horror when she's torturing him vis-a-vis tearing his clothes apart? Oh, I might not have been paying attention when that oh, happened. Oh yeah, she ties him up to find out uh, what they did to Buzz and she's got him like tied to a paddle ball paddle and the, the string and the ball is wrapped around his body and she's going through his closet and like ripping all of his clothes in half and he's like you're seeing him cry yeah oh i do remember that now yeah i don't know it it made me laugh really hard i just enjoyed the whole sequence that's great let's talk about ken for a second i love ken in this movie but i do think like i said before there's and maybe it's just of the era but there's like the joke where the guy thinks that it's astronaut Ken but it's Barbie in the astronaut outfit and he sees who he thinks is Ken wearing heels and kind of makes like this like dismissive like little laugh and there's like things in there that feel dated and it's not that long ago and it doesn't you know ruin the movie for me but I was just like oh this feels like in a movie that is supposed to be so welcoming and accepting like even just nine or ten years ago it's like oh this is kind of a little homophobic. It's definitely of its time but I think this is also kind of a problem that Pixar has had. I can't think of any specific examples of this in other movies but I want to say that this is like one of the like main criticisms of Pixar aside from all the John Lasseter stuff but just that like as far as queer representation in their films they haven't it hasn't always been great there was a movie recently that they did I think where they had an onward, onward yeah they had their first LGBTQ character I believe ran the restaurant it was like the Griffin Okay. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Because I'm also, I'm, I'm now this is this is embarrassing, but I'm confusing this with the Fast and Furious Spy Racer series on Netflix, Whoa. where one of the kids' <laughs> parents is two moms. But I was thinking, you know, at the end here, where they go to Bonnie's house, and the mom is right there, you know, doing the gardening, and then there's somebody in the back raking, and it's her dad. But I'm like, how hard would it be just to make that another woman? You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like have two moms. Like, you don't have to make a big deal about it, but just Bonnie has two moms. What's the big deal? And I feel like little things like that, and this is not a soapbox that, like, I feel, you know, that I should be speaking on 
or whatever. But like, just do like little things like that would go such a long way. I think. Like, what's the worst that happens on the car ride home? Your five-year-old's like, why? Why were there two moms there? It's like, I mean, that's that's just how some families are. And that like that's the worst thing that could like what I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't know. So what I think Pixar is sort of guilty of is riding trends as well, you know. And so mm-hmm. like around, I feel like a term that you don't hear at all anymore is metrosexual, right? And I feel like that was sort of a media term invented for like men, I guess, to feel more comfortable being, I don't know, cleaner. I'm not sure. <laughs> to just just dip a toe just slightly outside the gender binary. Yeah, and and, and it's like total kind of bullshit, right? But like yeah. here you see it and it's like, okay, like since the mainstream sort of grabbed onto that and accepted it, Pixar was like, let's let's sort of do that. Let's use it because, you know, it'll probably be be around for a while, but like it, it isn't anymore. And it sort of went away and became what it was always supposed to be, which is just, you know, be who you are. Be proud of what it is. Don't put a label on yourself about any of that or anything. And so... And also, like, I don't know, using hair gel doesn't make you gay, but it would be fine if it did. Right. Yeah. It, all, all of that. And that could have been more difficult to sort of handle in this movie but i mean that's also like why even just make ken you know more i don't know like traditional quote unquote or why not like just make ken explicitly gay like why not just have two kens there also i mean there's i think religious right that people who executives who make decisions about how much money they want to make from various media properties i think are historically have been afraid of of quote-unquote offending a very vocal minority who will make a big stink about two Kens in a movie or whatever. It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Ken and Ken. <laughs> Ken and Barbie, not Ken and Ken. But I mean, they could have even done it in, in not such a, in, in a more subtle way where he's just not so yeah. like, we were built for each other and, you know, he's like clearly fawning over Barbie and yet is is that like, does he even know, know what he really wants? Like, let Ken go explore himself first before letting the package that he comes in decide what he wants. Well, because I also think that's the thing that like Ken feels boxed in. Like he does not really get to express himself. The fact that he's, you know, so alone here that he's by himself the only one who cares about clothes he just feels like he's an outsider in so many ways like let him be himself to your point mike like let him explore ken figure out who ken should be before he's all of a sudden ken and barbie and go from there yeah and hopefully he can now that lots has gone and the regime has fallen and and sunnyside is is you know back to being you know or not maybe just for the first time being like a safer place where you could be yourself he's on he's on that journey now yeah now on the flip side of the coin carrot is there something about this movie that didn't work for you and as you mentioned at the top that some of it's a little bit dark which you like but maybe doesn't work for kids but what's your least favorite part of Toy Story 3? I don't know I just it feels long and like just a lot happens and I was tired when I was watching it so that may be less of a criticism of the movie than a reflection of the fact that I was tired. I mean it is the longest Toy Story movie. It's 11 minutes longer than the second one which is 11 minutes longer than the first one. I think the fourth one this is like a bit of IMDb trivia that I got rid of because it wasn't inherently interesting to me but now that we're talking about it it was like the first one was like something like 80 minutes Yes, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) And then the second one was like an hour and a half, and this is like an hour 40, and then the fourth one is also like an hour 40. I also feel like it has to do with processing power, where it's like that 85-minute part one, like, took... Just saves them a week of rendering? Yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, one thing that struck me while I was watching this was that it looks better than Cats did. Which they they, they reference at the end, yeah. I know, I know. That was my my Letterboxd review, was that quote. You asked me if there was anything I didn't like about it. Or anything that doesn't work, or anything that you feel like is not fleshed out i feel like too much is fleshed out like that there's just 
just too much going on and it was just hard for my brain to follow. Um, this is definitely not, I don't know, is it my favorite Toy Story? I'm not sure. Definitely not my favorite Pixar movie. I do not love it unconditionally. What's your favorite Pixar movie? Do you have one at the ready? Oh, Ratatouille. I love Ratatouille. Okay. That's a great It's one. light. It's fun. It's delicious. It's cute. Big foodie film right there. Mm-hmm. Ratatouille, yeah. I also really liked Coco, but I've only seen that one once. Oh, Coco's oh, beautiful. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's terrific. Talk about a dark movie. <laughs> yeah, but so bright and colorful. And that goes back to what you are saying sort of earlier, not just about this, but or Disney in general, but I feel like, unfortunately, that just makes the best story for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tragedy. Because that's the, that's the world that we live in, you know? Yep. And I, I just have always had a hard time with ignoring the bad parts of life because it's so unrealistic and they're still there, even if you pretend they're not, you know? And so I, I get frustrated when stories ignore that, especially stories for kids i i must be so hard to be a parent and want to like shield your kids from all of the terrible things in the world but i've i'm not always certain that that's you know the best idea and i think that like kids are a lot more resilient and can understand a lot more than we give them credit for and so i do appreciate when like kids stories don't leave that part of life out of the picture this one felt like maybe a little much (laughs) Yeah, I wish more adult stories left that shit out of the picture. <laughs> well, what were we talking? Oh, we we're talking about. Oh, it was American Made, right, Mike? Where we were talking about like, I just want a movie where like, you know, he's doing bad things, but like, he doesn't get caught, and like, life's good. Just have a movie like that where like, it's just fun for for ninety minutes. Everything's just fine. Yeah. Just no pressure. Just doing it all, but like without that ticking clock on your back. Mike, what about you? Is there something about this movie that you don't like? What's your least favorite part of Toy Story Three? Big Baby, maybe, just because of the character <laughs> design. Like, it's just freaky. <laughs> it's really weird. It also, it felt like a recycled villain for me from the earlier, from maybe the first movie, right? There's a creepy baby doll in that one. Or there's the creepy baby doll head. Half baby, half spider thing. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you saying that, Kara, just jarred something else that I recall. Isn't Lotso sort of also an amalgam of Jesse and Pete? And mm. Lotso is basically exactly the, per- the prospector, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that that's a little bummer. That's a bit of a bummer. But it is sort of cool to see, oh, they must have had this idea of let's take that character and, and see what happens when he's, like, flourishing, you know? So I kind of love that about it. Like, Pete was just trapped in that box in that room. Here we get to see what a guy like that would do when he had, like, all this unlimited power. But Big Baby freaked me out. The the <laughs> the, uh, the monkey with the symbols is freaky. Oh, I did not like the monkey. Did that's like apparently it. based no, on a Stephen you. King story called The Monkey. Oh, I thought it was Monkey Shines? Oh, is it just The Monkey? Okay. No, The Monkey. I don't know that he has... I don't, is, is King involved in Monkey Shines? I don't know. I can't remember. I can't get them all straight. A lot of monkey movies. If only there was a podcast that could cover them all. <laughs> so I really... There's not too much else that hasn't been mentioned. You know, I think it might just be... It, it, it's very heavy for a children's film, but not for a Toy Story film, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, like if you've seen that, you, you're prepared, I guess. They prepare you for this one. You, you should not watch this one first if you're a kid. Watch, make sure you watch it third. And there's just, there's one other thing. It's not like a, a thing I dislike about the movie, but it's something I wanted to bring up. And uh, so, I mean, I could hold on to it for another couple minutes or... No, go for it. 
Um, okay, so we talk a lot about you know what makes a toy sentient. What? Oh, I got questions about this too. Yes, please go on. What brings a toy to life? Like what constitutes it being alive? Like how does that happen? Where's the magic? When does it start? In this movie, there is a journey going on with Mr. Potato Head. Yes. My God. <laughs> what is going on? I don't know. I said the exact same thing when he shows up as a cucumber. Where's the sentience? How does this work? Him as a tortilla. What? He's just disembodied pieces? Just, what? Is it in his eyes? Is it the brain in his hat? Oh, oh, that's actually, that's a plausible idea. But as the tortilla, he gets like torn into three pieces and they kind of all look at each other like, oh, we're screwed. Like, we got to find a new body. Is he a hive mind? Like, I'm still, like, I don't have answers. I just needed to sort of propose this so we could you know all freak out well i think what this movie leads us to believe and i think it's the first one in the franchise that like each individual part has sentience like the fact that mrs potato head's right eye can still act as like a camera all the way in andy's room is like wait what how is that happening yeah it's not connected to her brain anymore right so it's got a brain of its own i guess they all have brains of their own because like you see them you know he drops the things out the hole like when he when they're in the sandbox right and they knock the hole out distributed computing that's how it's working I guess so. I also felt like, we talked about it before, but Spanish Buzz brings in the questions of sentience. Like, does Buzz know that he could go Spanish? He doesn't seem to. He has, like, no recollection that it happened. He's like a sleeper agent. It's like a fugue state. Like, it's like yeah. the, the Breaking Bad where Walt strips naked and goes through the uh, supermarket because he's like, oh, it's a disassociative event. Like, that's Buzz, but, like, via a button on his back? I don't understand that. Let me tell you, I would love one of those buttons. Like, if I could just get one of those installed. <laughs> At the end of every workday, just like hit a button and wipe my memory. But I feel like this is never brought up, and I'll just go ahead and spoil it. This this isn't brought up in part four. It's not like Mr. Potato Head ever does this again, or another toy sort of like, you know, changes into another body or anything like that, really. We get a whole other sor- set of circumstances with Forky, but it's just very strange how they can continually mine this particular topic of sort of what makes a toy, what brings it to life, why is it alive, how can it be alive, and all this kind of stuff. Like, it just keeps finding ways to sort of make you go mad thinking about it. I mean, on that level, I love it. I just keep applying, because you know they're just like these whacked out, like, Pixar story team editors just, like, trying to think of this like craziest shit possible and it's like lo and behold like it's a freaking nightmare toy falafel thing like coming at you like now he's a cucumber man like it can be anything like can he just stick his eyes to a picture frame and walk around Uh, uh, i don't know does it have to be a vegetable he's not a real vegetable he's a toy potato i feel like if he stuck his feet to the picture frame too it could walk around i feel like the feet Mm -hmm. are required like every piece (laughs) can drag itself like i guess that's kind of like the sid's workshop the the house of horrors right where like every part of every toy could be more but i think to function in the way that it's supposed to you need those parts a mustache can't turn a doorknob but a hand can turn a doorknob as long as it's even if it's not connected to something i was just going to propose something along i was trying to figure out a way to say what you just said like if he took off his mustache would it like crawl around on its own and wither i think it like could yeah <laughs> like a little caterpillar <laughs> amazing but yeah, that, the, the potato head stuff in this was especially where it's just like, what rules are you playing by? Like, they've got to have, I mean, they're clearly not sharing it because, like, we have more questions than answers. But I feel like they have to internally, like, the holy grail at Pixar is, like, the Toy Story book of sentience. And it's like, here's what is allowed, here's what's not allowed. 
do you think they have a, a guide for that? Do, do they have a Bible that like there there are rules for this? I feel like I don't know if it's like everything's written out, but I feel like they've got to have a list of things that are like these are the things that we're okay with, and then these are maybe if it's not that, maybe it's like these are the things that you cannot do. It's like things that they've pitched in past Toy Story movies. It's like no, 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 that's a bridge too far. I don't know if they have a list of like here's what toys can do, but I I would bet they have a list of like here's what toys cannot do. Never ever, please, yeah. thank you. But it also like wouldn't surprise me if they did have a two hundred page pdf of that's like a complete style guide for like what the toys can and cannot do oh 100 yeah because what about like a stick and a hoop used to be a popular toy in like the turn of the mm. se- in the first like two turns of the century ago so like they could, could do <laughs> a lot with that i feel could that be like running around doing stuff with woody I, I had one more thing about you know the way toys perceive the world like the way this movie opens is sort of uh it mimics the opening of the original toy story where we see andy playing with his toys and there's sort of like this this big like stick oh, this up opening sequence is amazing it, it's it's incredible and we could go into detail and stuff but my question about it is whenever andy is playing with the toys do they sort of fall into this wider scope of like movie world reality where like it is this high speed lo- big action train robbery because you know then we cut back and it's just Andy in his room playing with them but every time he picks them up are they like in their minds transported to whatever he's imagining like that crossed my mind okay here's a theory I feel like them getting played with and this is going to cross a line into what we should probably not be talking about in terms of in one of two ways but when they're t- when they're playing with Andy when Andy's playing with them or whoever Bonnie or whoever the feeling they must have must be so orgasmic or so ecstatic or such like a drug-induced high that their minds go blank and they're able to envision whatever they want to envision. So this is like heaven and like what we're seeing is just Andy. It's almost like an Andy's brain. Like this is what he's imagining and they're just in blissful ignorance, just like this is the greatest thing. This is what I've been put here to do. I'm bringing my kid joy. Like this is the best feeling in the world. Then I feel like the answer is yes. So like if I'm imagining Andy's playing with Woody and it's like some kind a deep sea adventure but they're just in his backyard and there's no water involved from from Woody's point of view he's going to have to be holding his breath cuz he's underwater for as long as Andy's pretending yes that's even crazier like the idea that you know you get picked up and you're in one reality and then all of a sudden you're in like this infinite blissful other dimension for a while and you're constantly chasing that high for the rest of your existence which is forever because you're a toy and toys are immortal unless you like burn it and destroy it that's insane but i feel like it's that high that like whenever you're bringing your kid joy you have that feeling you have that euphoria you have that bliss and that's what they want that's what gets them off interesting stuff interesting stuff that we're talking about here i would counter that not that I necessarily disagree with you, but just when Woody first is at that little girl's house, the other toys are ta- like they're talking about improv. Yes. Which requires a certain amount of knowledge that you're in a situation and reacting to it. Maybe when they're in the factory, and this is something that we do not see, and this is something that we talked a lot about, I think on the Keanu Club episode of Toy Story 4, because like Forky, Mike, broke our brains in a way that we were not ready to talk about, I don't think. We love Forky, and then actually analyzing Forky was like, wait a minute, what is happening here? But I do wonder if like in the factory when the toys are being made, if there is like a UCB level style, like, okay, your kid's gonna play with you. Like they have like courses, like here's what you're supposed to do. 
but like I don't know like when they're in the factory like ready to get shipped out I don't know how I could see a whole Toy Story movie about that where it's like preparing you for your life with the kid yeah so they must they must know that like look like the kid's gonna start playing with you and shit's gonna start changing and you're gonna be things are going to be real and all this stuff is good. don't like lose it entirely because like he's still just a kid you're gonna to have to be aware yes and yes and. yeah you're gonna to have to be aware enough to sort of get over like some kind of hump if he ever reaches like a wall in his playtime or something i don't know whatever it is but like or you know would he be prepared to not be the sheriff today like what what if you're just a rancher instead and then you know or so yeah like that's i mean hey good for them they're prepared that's wild I mean, what a life, though, because at one point, Woody even refers to it as their job. And it's like, do you really want to look at it like that all the time? Where it's like, because that almost implies that you got no choice, really, at then. Like, what is your compensation? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, do they have a union? I'm concerned. Are they getting health insurance? Do they get federally mandated breaks? Need to know. I think, like, in the job sense, like, you have to be on, right? Like, where your kid is awake, like, between the hours of, like, after school and the time the kid goes to bed, you have to be, like, ready for whatever your boss wants you to do. And then as soon as that time is over, it's like, okay, I can relax. I can go, you know, just lay down. I can go on adventures, whatever I want to do. It's like the free time. So I, I, I kind of see that metaphor. Okay. One of the other toys that Woody's talking to at his new home is named Mr. Prickle Pants. And he's a British hedgehog? Porcupine. Yeah, hedgehog, one of them, yeah. Voiced by Timothy Dalton, who was a Bond. My favorite Bond. Yeah, he's great. But he's talking to him about the craft of acting and improv, which made me laugh really hard. It's funny. They're like calling him a natural and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, Woody, Woody's been played with, yo. Like, he, he knows what to do. Some other things that I liked about this movie, because I think my least favorite part, and it's a minor thing, because I really do love this movie, is just the Ken stuff I talked about before. But we do, for the third movie now, Mike, we have another magic eight ball that gets thrown in the trash bag. I don't know if oh, you caught it. Oh, I didn't catch it. I was looking for it, though, because of our previous discussions. Yeah, Kara, there's a video on YouTube where, like, the magic eight ball in these movies reflects, like, loss and garbage and disposal and it's always found in places where like on a shelf where when Woody tears his arm in the second movie like the she just puts the the doll up by the magic eight ball like on this like dusty shelf there's a magic eight ball I think that fell behind something in the first movie like there's always the magic eight ball is always where it's like kind of neglect and disuse right. and here we see I think Andy's younger sister I want to say throw the magic eight ball away so even she's like nah I'm good three for three I don't know if it's in the fourth one or not but we'll find out I wonder if that's like an artifact from the animator's childhood that they're like this is a, a thing that nobody plays with anymore that they just like have to sneak in there very possible also i was thinking i think i mean we don't have to get back into this now but like what's the deal with the magic eight ball when it comes to being a toy like does mm. can you shake it and it, is it going to make up whatever it needs to say on its little diamond so. thing okay I just have that question in general, even outside of Toy Story. He's not in this one, but like Etch a sketch, right? Like Etch can do whatever. He can just draw whatever he wants to draw. So speak and spell the same way. I know that that Magic 8-Ball is just a D20 in there, but like who's to stop him from... Woody only has like eight things he can say. He can, But like when it's when the, when the pressure's not on, he can say whatever he wants. So I don't know. This is, I think, pretty commonly known Toy Story trivia, but the garbage man is Sid from Next Door. He's wearing that same skull t-shirt. It's the same voice actor, too. I think that's pretty cool. 
Oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. There are two Fast and Furious connections here that, of course, I was on the lookout for because I'm always on the lookout for. At one point, I thought this was like a Fate of the Furious Dom against the family, but Woody against the family because it just seemed like he was separated. Kind of goes away. But at one point, Buzz does say, we're a family. We stick together. And I was like, yeah, hell yeah. Buzz and Nick Toretto. Lotso says something about his version of a family too at the end and Woody's like that's not a family or something <laughs> like I think you get it from both sides I mentioned it at the very top of the show but I freaked out when Woody is escaping from daycare and he falls down the tree and his string gets caught and he's dangling like Ethan Hunt and I was like this is <laughs> amazing this is the greatest we talked so much about how great and how much we love the mission impossible movies and for him to just be like this is the tom hanks could tom cruise play this role yeah he already did in mission impossible in 1996 (laughs) could he voice the role of woody well certainly for that sequence it would fit i don't know if either of you noticed but totoro from the Miyazaki movies is in here. And so there's a quote from John Lasseter who says, Totoro does have a cameo. We do little homages in our films. We thought it was a very appropriate homage to let Miyazaki and his film company, Studio Ghibli, know how much they mean to us. So I was just like, is that... Like, yeah, it is. That's, That's great. Cool. It's great that he's in several shots as well. Like, he's one yeah. of Bonnie's, like, prime toys in this. I, I wish that he was in it more, just, like, looming in the background. The Lotso backstory, when we get that, is, like, so gorgeously animated and feels like Grapes of Wrath, like, kind of dust bullshit. Like, it's just this old-timey, like, he's he's lived a life. He's seen the road, man. But he also goes bad. He, like, he breaks bad so easily that it's like, oh, he's always been a bad person, bear. Thing. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't try and devise a plan to get rid of the new Lotso somehow. Like, he's got Big Baby and that squeaky toy clown with him, right? So it's like, you know, like, you're a dastardly toy. You could get rid of that new toy, no problem, I'm sure. I mean, for all we know, he's he's working on it. Yeah. Or maybe, like, new Lotso's even worse because he's fresh out the yeah. box and he would, like, Ooh. knife old Lotso and get that stuff in to fall out. <laughs> There's a line that Mr. Potato Head says in this movie where everybody's talking to like I think they're telling Woody that they were wrong that like that Woody was right all along and Jesse says I was wrong I'm sorry and Mr. Potato Head says Jesse's right she was wrong and just the way he delivers that line like <laughs> basically like, you're, you're expecting him to say like you know we were all wrong but he's like yeah she was wrong just the way he delivers it like made me crack up so much and I adored it also later in this movie Barbie does a neck snap on Ken did either of you see that oh I must have Wait, I must have missed that so she, like, has Ken pinned down. Like, she, like, puts a knee in his back, and she's on the ground, and she does, like, one of those classic movie, like, grab the, the neck and, like, snap it, but just his head spins around because it's a doll. And I was like, that's, like, a brutal way to, like, quote-unquote kill someone. But, like, Barbie's a badass in this movie. I missed that this time around, but uh, that is, that's, like, I don't even know my own strength moment, I guess. <laughs> it's a very uh, Superman finishing off Zod moment there. Seriously. I have some trivia about this movie that we've not talked about yet, but do either of you have any other thoughts about Toy Story 3 before we do trivia and play a couple games? Two quick things. The first one is uh, this Utopia became a Dystopia pretty quickly. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. The other thing is the year that this movie came out, I got a Lotso, a real-life Lotso hug and bear at Toys R Us for my niece. Okay. She tore open the box, she looked at it, she took one look at it, and she started crying. Oh. Well, she knew he was evil. She knew he was bad. I just thought he was cuddly and smelled like strawberries, and that's all nope. she would see. But she could tell. She took a look, and she said, she said, no way. Right under the surface. 
I felt so bad. That was like the, my biggest uncle fail right there was not picking up on that at all. And that Lotso still resides in my basement as we speak. And I made it up to her. I went and took her to Toys R Us and she picked out whatever she wanted. R.I.P. Toys R Us. Well, I will say that on the topic of Lotso, Lotso is in one shot, I think, of the first Toy Story. They wanted to have him in that, but they couldn't get the fur right. Because it seemed like, you know, the dog, and like we talked, I think, on the first episode, Mike, about how the dog was not exactly. I also thought it was kind of funny that in this one, when they finally are probably able to animate a dog they just have a fat dog that like basically doesn't move like it's just like it feels not that it's necessarily easier but it feels easier but the thing do either of you want to guess i don't know if you if either of you read this but either of you want to guess what the most difficult thing to animate I, like this is not a question i don't think you can get right because I, I, I wouldn't even think about it but either of you want to take a guess on what the most difficult thing in this movie for the animators to get right was because we talk about you know on the keanu club episode we're going to get to it again in this but like the way that they just have like dust bunnies on the top of china cabinets is like you guys are showing off now like there's just the computers are so good but yeah there was something in particular in this movie a common i'll say a common household object that was very difficult for them to get right because of its special unique properties Okay, so something probably transparent? No, but you're kind of ish on the right track, sort of. Okay, it has something to do with light, probably. Yes, mm-hmm. Okay. This is like a weird, what am I chewing without food? Yeah, <laughs> so a household item, you said? Yep. Is it like a, something that you use as a tool, or is it like more like a furniture or part of the actual house itself? I would say none of those, but of the three options closest to a tool, like it serves a purpose because the difficulty in like rendering computer generated images very often comes from light and like making the light look normal and which is part of why cats sucked so bad but i loved it release the butt cut It was the garbage bags. They apparently had a very, very difficult oh. time getting the garbage bags right because the way that they reflect and sit and fold and twist and everything. And so they got it. I mean, it worked, but that was the difficult thing here, which I thought was pretty interesting. Well, that shot of the dinosaur's tail going through the garbage bag, now that you say that, like, yeah, in my mind, yep. I was like, did they just put like a toy against a real garbage bag? <laughs> I think I said that on the Keanu Club where it's like, by the time they get to the next movie, they could have just been real toys that they photographed and like actual stop motion because it's just yeah. so realistic. This movie won the Golden Globe for Best Animated Film. It won the Oscar for Best Animated Film. It also won the Oscar for Best Original Song, We Belong Together. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Sound Editing, and Best Adapted Screenplay. This is the first time in the history of the Oscars that a sequel was nominated for Best Picture when none of its predecessors was. And I also learned if a movie is a sequel, it in automatically is deemed by the Academy to be an adapted screenplay because those characters already existed. Yeah, it's crazy. Which is a weird thing. I wonder if that goes for prequel as well because how can it... But if it takes place before the work you're adapting, wouldn't it retroactively be the work that's being adapted from? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting question since so much of so many of our movies now are adaptations of things and just develop being you know intellectual property that already exists i mean let's just go back and look at attack of the clones which i'm sure won best original screenplay or best adapted screenplay right because that's the best movie that's ever been made so let's hey go that. that's actually my favorite prequel oh boy you are wrong i can tell you that you're wrong i am not wrong but this is a different conversation for a different podcast that doesn't exist <laughs> now that's podcasting so the big baby has one line and says mama and they apparently auditioned lots of babies. Oh, they used a real baby? <laughs> they used a real baby, and the baby they cast was named Woody. Aw. 
there is, at the end of this movie, there's the garbage truck with the stuffed animals on the front. Similar scene, Mike, do you remember another Hanks movie where they had stuffed animals on the front of a car? Early movie, in the 80s. Oh, no, I don't. Was it Bachelor Party? Because it seems like something that would be in that movie. <laughs> Dragnet. Oh, right, when they crashed through the stand at the beach. Yeah. I was wondering about those those stuffed animals or whatever they were. Did, were they supposed to be um, Kermit, Fozzie, and Piggy? Like, a bit of me felt like they were a little bit of a jab at the Muppets, because one of them definitely looked like a beat-up Kermit, and he made a joke where he's like, you know, unless you want flies in your mouth, you're going to, you know, close your mouth unless you want flies in it or something like that. And I was like, well, you know, a frog would love to have flies in its mouth because that's what he eats or at least that's what I learned as a little kid growing up but I don't know is there anything about that at all did anybody catch that either that that might have been sort of like a Muppet joke I watched Muppet Babies but I don't have a real grasp on the Muppets so I'm you know oh okay I I would like I grew up with those Muppet movies so I just maybe it was just on my brain I don't know um I got distracted looking up how long it took to like render the first Toy Story and I, I couldn't quite fine because i was i i was like it probably took two and a half years to render that first movie but i didn't find exact figures about that but the whole making of the first movie was five years wow yeah and the only other bit of trivia i have here is that maybe noticeably absent is maybe the coolest character in the fourth one except for of course duke kaboom everybody's favorite canadian stuntman but bo peep not in this movie she's got a very brief cameo in the beginning but this feels like a bit of a cop-out but i also understand it they said that they didn't want to have her in the movie because they didn't think porcelain could withstand the heat at the end of the movie but even if they survive she would have melted so i get that but it's also like a then just don't have her at the end. Like, have her, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, have her be somewhere else. Yeah, and also Barbie didn't, wasn't there. She stayed behind at Sunnydale. So Bo Peep could have been, like, put on the office shelf or something, you know? Like, that would have been interesting. Like, she yep. she could have been positioned in a different place, and it could have been fortuitous for the rest of the toys for her to be there or something. Like, she's in the office. We can get away with, get the keys or something. But, yeah, it, that is a little weird to say that because... Originally, I didn't even really, not for nothing, but like I didn't even consider her to be a toy. I didn't think that people were like, oh, she's missing this and that. It didn't even occur to me, really, because I was like, well, yeah, she, she's an inanimate object that walks and talks, but she's a lamp. But like, what? That just raises even more questions. Like, can somebody's shoes walk and talk if they have a face drawn on them or something? Like, I'm just, you know, those um, dinosaur uh, slippers when you were a kid that you would put your feet in? Like, since they have a face, would they walk and talk? Like, I don't know. Mike, we'll have this conversation when we talk about Forky. I can't get into it. <laughs> Now, we're too far into the night for me to have this conversation again because I don't have answers for you. I don't have good answers. I don't have bad answers. I just don't have answers. I'll just say they made it up to her with the next movie tenfold. Badass Bo Peep. Kara, have you seen the fourth one? I have not. Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Well, now, we already briefly talked about it. Could Tom Cruise play the role of Sheriff Woody? I mean, obviously, he could have done that one stunt, but do you think Tom Cruise has the range? I don't remember what we said for, for past ones. Could Tom Cruise play Sheriff Woody? Yeah, but he's obviously a buzz. Yeah, I think that's what we were getting down to with the previous films as well. He's also a Lotso, I think. Mm, oh, More yeah, so a Lotso time. than a Prospector, oh, I think. He, yeah. he, could have been a, he could be a good Ken, maybe. Do you think he would do that? Also that, yeah. That would be interesting. He kind of looks like Ken in this movie, to be honest with you. <laughs> just, yeah. At this point, it's weird. Like More than any of his other characters, maybe because the only one he's played more than once is 
stupid Robert Langdon is that like I just feel like this is Hanks like Woody is Hanks yeah. like I just I can't it, it would just be like bizarre you know to visit another dimension and the only thing different is the voice of Woody I'd be like get me out of this twisted twisted world <laughs> because I need it to be Tom Hanks's voice Kyra I don't know if we've had this question I don't know if we've rephrased this question since you've been on but we were asking for a while does Tom Hanks do anything in this movie to become America's dad but we established a while ago maybe even when you were on I don't remember I don't remember when that cutoff was but we established for a while that like he is America's dad full stop end of story so the new question is does he do anything in this movie that takes him away from that does he do anything that's basically undad like and I feel like you know Woody's kind of a, a manic you know frazzled kind of guy but for the most part I think has generally you know best interests at heart and just seems to want to bring kids joy so I say he is you know I think it's fine but do you think he's still America's dad or has he done something unforgivable no I, I agree I, he hasn't, he's fine Fine is good enough. Mike? He's he's overprotective, right? Like, that's his whole thing. It's like, he thinks he knows best, and he's overprotective. He's like, we gotta get back, like, this, that, and the other. Like, that feels like a very dad thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> to think you know better and that you're overprotective and all that. So I'll go with that. I- I'm just trying to spin it in a funny way. But, no, yeah. I get it? Ultimately, yes, I, I think so. Cool. Now, the last thing we have to do is the Woody's, the Tom Hanks Awards. Best film, worst film. We had Toy Story 2 on best film. Do we want to put... I think for now we have to. We can always cut it down later, but I don't think that this is far off from 2. I think, you know, I, Mike, you might like it a little bit less, so I think this has to be in the running at least for now. Do you agree? Yeah. No, totally. Like, just because of my personal taste, like, I, I happen to... My favorite one will probably always be part 2, just for certain reasons, you know? Just... But, like, yeah, this is a this is probably a better movie, like, all in all, when you get down to it. Best Hanks role, we already have Woody in there, of course. Best Ensemble, we have Toy Story franchise, so that's still good. Is there a fight that Woody gets into? Actually, the Woody and Slink versus Monkey fight is great. Yes. I loved that fight. I love Slinky. He's so good. And this is the first time that Slinky wasn't Jim Varney, because Jim Varney had passed away between movies, and so he was replaced by, I don't remember oh. who. I forgot that he was Jim Varney in the other ones. Oh. Best dance scene. Does Woody dance? No, Ken gets the dance, right? <laughs> he gets the disco party at the end. And best party scene, the same thing there. Best outfit, wardrobe. I think yeah, we have the cowboy outfit in Toy Story. Woody does not die. Best line or best freak out. Does Woody have any quotes? I feel like all the quotes that I wrote down or that are memorable are not Woody quotes. For a movie that Woody kind of gets separated, this is more so about everyone else, kind of. Yeah. Does a pretty good job in that regard too i think it it takes it not to turn this into third times a charm or anything but it takes advantage (laughs) of what i feel like makes a good part three you know and and at this point these characters we've seen them grow and change over the course of two films so like we know them pretty well and there's a lot less of them now too like they thinned out the herd and everything like that so we don't have to really worry about their growth or development as much we could just sort of enjoy the adventure you know and i really love the idea that they turn this into a, a prison film with toys so yeah. like that is just that is just amazing so best soundtrack theme score we have the franchise nominated already best or worst tom hanks love story we do not have him and bo peep on either and she's not in this movie so i think that's okay and then the last thing best non-hanks actor male or female i think do we have anybody in toy story we've got joan cusack as jesse in the franchise already um and i think we have tim allen as buzz 
Ned Beatty's pretty good as Lotso. I don't know why. I always thought it was Ed Asner, but he plays the guy in Up, right? He's the old man yes. in Up. Yeah, I always thought he was Lotso for the longest time also. But uh, it's nice to see, you know, Otis from Superman here or Guy from Deliverance. I don't know very much. Ned Beatty's a big character actor. I don't know if you know him, but uh, he does a good job. He seems like the only sort of new, big, beefy role, too. I mean, aside from Ken, maybe we should do, maybe we can nominate uh, Michael, Michael Keaton. as Ken. Yeah. Apparently he had one line where he says, we're going to the library, and that was an improv that the director that Lee Unkich, I think, loved so much they left in, but just, I don't think there's a wild improvisation, just like, it's the wrong pronunciation of library, but again, love Ken. Love Ken. Gotta be ready to improv, it's, you know, it's just like those toys at Bonnie's house, you gotta be, you know, willing to improv a little bit. I think we got two new nominations, Best Film and Best Fight which is very exciting. All right. So also today, as I mentioned, the Tom Cruise Award nominations, the Cruisies, if you want to go vote at cageclub.me slash bracket, if you've got thoughts about your favorite and least favorite Tom Cruise moments, go do that there, cageclub.me slash bracket. Vote early, vote often. The voting will be open for about a month or so, so go do that. Next week, we'll talk about the Toy Story shorts and specials, five shorts. Just as a reminder, if you want to watch along, we've got Hawaiian Vacation, Small Fry, and Partysaurus Rex. Those are all like six or seven minutes. And then the half hour specials Toy Story of Terror and Toy Story That Time Forgot. And then next week over on Cruise Club, we've got the Tom Cruise Clip Show, which is kind of a weird one, where there's some good stuff, there's some late night stuff, and there's a long episode of Fallen Angels, which, Mike, I will say, <laughs> this is not going to make, make any sense to people who have not listened to this yet, because it's not out yet, but IMDb has still not made my change from John Riley to John C. Riley, so it's still up in the air. I was telling someone about that recently, because... Uh... That's important stuff. It is, it's the most important thing that I could possibly do at a time where that's the only thing that's going on in the world right now is uh, I got to change John Riley to John C. Riley on one page that literally no one else in the world is visiting on IMDb. <laughs> that is the most important thing in the world right now. But Kara, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Now, Wistful is kind of on a hiatus right now, but if people are out there listening, is there anywhere that you want people to check you out online? Nope. Cool. Well, that was easy. And for all things Hangs for the Memories, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks, at cageclub.me. Come back next week for Toy Story shorts and specials. Check out our Cruises Award nominations today and our clip show next week. And we'll see you here for even more buzz, even more Woody, even more of the whole gang in one short week. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Nancy. And that was Cara Gale O'Regan. And we'll see you next time right here on Hanks for the Memories. So this is it? 